Thank you, Chris. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew, the 16th chapter, verses 13 through 17. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 17. We're going to be looking at what's known as the Confession at Caesarea Philippi. Chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he asked them a personal question, but who do you, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. If we ask the world who Jesus is or was, some would say he's a Middle Eastern mystic. The Jews would say he was a misguided prophet. The Muslims was would say he was a prophet, but not as great as Muhammad. The Hindus would say he was certainly a holy man. To a Buddhist, he was just another deeply religious man. And then some would say Jesus was mentally ill. Others believe, like many, that he had a Messiah complex and that maybe the church, the early disciples, made up all the stories surrounding him and his crucifixion and resurrection and miracles. But folks, I could spend the rest of the day talking about what the world thinks. I want you to understand today, the question is to you personally. I want you to look at the scripture. But what about you, verse 15, he asked, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? What do you think about Jesus? What does Jesus mean to you? Who was he and who is he still? You believe he, like Peter, was the son of the living God? You believe he's the Christ, the promised one, the anointed one of God? Who do you say Jesus is? Is he Savior to you? And what do we mean by the word Savior? Did he save us from our sins in the past? Saves us from our sins in the present and in the future? What does the word Savior mean for us this morning? Aaron Feist was an assistant coach at Parkland, Florida High School who put others ahead of himself and literally in his body took the shots that were meant for his fellow students that he taught. And so for many of his students there, he was a savior of their lives. In the book Flags of Our Fathers by James Bradley, he chronicles the lives of six men who raised the flag at Iwo Jima and their childhood through their war years. And afterwards, one of those men's name was Mike Strank, a coal miner's son who at the age of 15 saved his younger brother who was 11 years old who was dragging a shovel down through a mine and they hit a live wire. And his 11-year-old brother was being electrocuted and he knew enough about electricity that he had to knock him loose from the current. And so he ran and hit him and knocked him loose and then gave him CPR and mouth-to-mouth to get him back to life again. Mike Strank was one of those who raised the flag at Iwo Jima. And help save the lives of many of his fellow soldiers. So what does it mean to become Savior? To save somebody's life. Is Jesus your Savior this morning? Do you know him as Savior? Or is he more than just a Savior? Do you know Jesus is the Good Shepherd? He says, I am the Good Shepherd. A few of you may have been in ag or 4-H and raised sheep. We did that at our house. And I want to tell you a little bit about sheep 
uh, they're stinky. Uh, they are, I hate to use the word stupid, but they are foolish. Uh, we had show lambs run through hog wire fences trying to get through a hole this big. You know, they spook easily. They follow the herd. Uh, they, you know, they get into all kinds of trouble. Briars, cockleburrs, you, you name it. I mean, the good shepherd, though, does what? He lays down his life for his sheep. He cares for his sheep. He looks after his sheep. Jesus is our good shepherd. Do you know him as somebody who has your best interest in mind? A shepherd always has the best interest of the sheep in mind. He's also calling that same passage in John. By the way, in John, if you want to look and see, there are seven names that Jesus says he is, specifically in the book of John, where he says, I am these names, the good shepherd, the door. Or the gate to the sheep. If you go in the Middle East, you'll find rock shelters all over the hillsides. If you go to northern England, you'll find some there in Scotland and Wales. You'll find these rock shelters that are sheepfolds. They're where shepherds guiding and nurturing their flocks and, and pasture, pasturing them. They take them into these folds and there are no doors over the folds. A lot of them don't have tops over them either. Some of them do. But you... You see those folds, and they're designed so that the sheep can go through one or two sections, and then the shepherd becomes the door. He lays in the passageway as a protector so that nothing can harm the sheep. Do you see Jesus as the door of protection for your life, and that he has your best interest in mind? Do you see him as the light of the world? You know, since 9-11, uh, where the Twin Towers stood, they, they shot two beams of light up in the air. They started doing this as a memorial service every year on the date. And they'd shoot these two beams of light among all of the New York City skyline. And you gotta, if you've never been there, you've you got to know how many lights there are up there. I mean, there's just thousands. But these two bright beams of light were used to call people to remember the tragedy of 9-11. Jesus is the light shining in the darkness. In fact, in the first chapter of John, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So it was in the beginning. All things were made by Him and through Him. Nothing that has been made was made without Jesus. And it goes on down there, it says, And Jesus was the light, but men love darkness rather than light. Folks, we have not changed in our world in 2,000 years. Do you see Him as the light of the world he who wants to guide us and lead us because he says, those who follow me as the light and have me as the light of life will never walk in darkness. And he's talking about spiritual darkness, folks. Years ago, my son and I, Josh, had the privilege of going up through uh, parts of our country, going to New Jersey. And while we were traveling along there, there's a passage, Scripture comes out of Hebrews Second chapter, verse 10, he's the pioneer of our salvation. And we're going along all the trail up through there. Appalachian Trail, back and forth, going up through there, where all the pioneers, when they came to the U.S., settled at first in through there. And there's one point in time where in 40 miles we went through four states. I want you all to stop and think about that. How do you go through four states in 40 miles? You can't even drive from here to Waco hardly in 40 miles. It's about what it is. 
Four states, we went through Virginia and West Virginia and Maryland and Pennsylvania. And I couldn't help but think about all of those pioneers that settled in those regions. And then they began to fan out across the United States. And if you go to New Mexico, you can still see the wagon ruts that go through the portions of New Mexico across the great grasslands there where they travel over the Rockies. You can see those ruts of where those old Conestoga wagons, those pioneers that came and settled our region of the world. Of course, the Native Americans were already here. This last fall, we got to go to the Great Sequoia National Forest. And there in the middle of the Great Sequoia National Forest, second highest tree in the world is there. But there's an old log cabin that's been restored there by the pioneers. If you've never seen it, we've got a cabin right up here, folks. Pioneer cabin up at the museum. They always have good displays there. And you can go up and you can see that. And you, you can imagine if you go and stop and think about it, how difficult those pioneers had it in these early days of a settling of our nation. Life was considered a daily challenge, yet with God's help, with determination, with perseverance, these early pioneers came and made a, a life for us, and, and we're the beneficiaries of that. You say, well, how so? Folks, this church was established in 1878. Okay, you stop and give that some thought. And we're not the oldest church in the county. We were a mission church from First Baptist Church Meridian, 1854. 59, I think, is when they got their first building up, something like that, 56, somewhere in there. And you stop and think about how for all these many years, over 100 years plus, people have been worshiping God in this place. This building you're in is 1948. The church moved here in about 1902 to this part of ground. We used to be across the river in an old school. And then we moved across the river to where the the Texas, New Mexico has all their power stuff down there, and we had a building there, and then the Ladies' Mission Aid Society bought this property right here that we're, we're in this morning. Is Jesus the pioneer of your salvation? Does he help you go out and do things that are different and challenging? You see, this morning in the early service, we had Tommy and Roxanne Compton here, and their daughter, Stacy, grew up here. And she and her husband, Thomas, just got back from serving the last two years in Cambodia from this church trying to make a difference in a world, going all the way around the world to, to teach children and to try to stop human trafficking. But you, who do you say that I am? Do you see Jesus as a suffering servant, the one beaten, humiliated, cursed, abused, misused, as Isaiah puts it, like a sheep before his shears, taking upon himself the iniquity, the sins of all mankind? Do you see him as one who was led to the cross, carrying his cross, the crucified one, do you see him as the one who bore the weight of the world and the sins of the world upon himself, who was ridiculed and mocked and spat upon and jeered at, who had a crown of thorns pressed down on him, who was hung naked before the world? Do you see Jesus as the suffering servant this morning, the crucified son, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world? But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Do you see Jesus as a master teacher? The good teacher, he's called. The rabbi, the wisdom of God. The one who's the answer man. Who always bested the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those educated in their day. They always had a, always had a, a question to try to trip Jesus up. Annie McCoin. You want to pay taxes, Jesus? You served, they thought they could get him. 
They thought he wouldn't say anything. He, he takes the coin. He says, whose image is on it? Caesar's. And what does he give the answer to? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and render to God the things that are God's. Bested them every time, folks. He's the wisdom of God. The good teacher who instructs. You see Jesus as the teacher who can instruct you personally on any subject. Marriage, parenting, finances, any subject. God's Word's got all, everything in the world in there. You say, well, God's Word's not a book of science. No, it's not. It's a book of faith. But I want to tell you, when it says, in the beginning, He created the world. And nothing was created without Him. Folks, if you look around, Jesus is not just Creator. He's the glory of God. We live in Bosque County. It's one of the most beautiful places on the face of the earth. We've got every kind of animal, every kind of flower, every kind of tree, everything. You look around the hills, the way they're laid out, they're beautiful. But they cannot compare to the glory of Jesus as the glory of God. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? He's the way, the truth, and the life. He says it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. Is He the way for you? Is He the truth for you? Is He the life for you? He is the way, without Him there is no going. He is the truth, without Him there is no knowing. He is the life, and without Him there is no real living. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Do you see Jesus as your advocate? <laughs> you ever needed an advocate? You ever gotten in trouble? You ever been called down the police station, have to go before a judge? I have. I want an advocate there that can speak on my behalf. Down in Waco on Columbus Avenue and about 24th Street, there's a building there called the Advocacy Center. And it is there for children and crime victims so that they can go there so that when they face the legal system, they have somebody that can speak on their behalf. An advocate is somebody that goes and defends you and speaks up for you and says what's going to help you. Particularly, is that true? when they're pleading the cause of another before a tribunal or a court or law or a judge, their responsibility is to help advocate for those who have no voice or to help advocate for those who maybe have been victimized or who maybe have done something wrong. Do you see Jesus as your advocate this morning? Do you see him as the great physician? Now, some of you here know Jesus is the great physician. You see, Bert that spoke a while ago, he, he could tell you he's been battling cancer for a couple of years. And he would tell you that Jesus is his great physician, that he's here today because God's been doing a work in him and through all the processes of using doctors and hospitals and prayer and everything else, that he's still walking around fulfilling God's purpose to share about sharing the gospel through a little Bible. And by the way, they did, he didn't mention it, but we'll have Gideons at all three doors if you want to give. At the close of the service. You see Jesus as the great physician. The one who helps heal us. Who helps sympathize with us in our illnesses and our pain and our anguish. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? You see Jesus as the carpenter of Nazareth. You know Jesus worked as a carpenter providing for his mother Mary and his brothers and sisters. You say well, I didn't know he had brothers and sisters. Yes he does. Mentioned in the Bible. James and Joseph and his sisters. He worked as a carpenter with his hands. He had rough, difficult hands that had pounded and pulled ads and everything else working to build things. Yet, he's the one who was mocked on the way to the cross, who 
those hands were nailed to a cross. And I imagine that there were those that said, Mr. Carpenter, come on down from the cross. One more miracle and we will believe. Come on down from the cross. The greatest miracle of all. You have nails in your hands, Mr. Carpenter. Come on down from the cross and we will believe. Do you see Jesus as the consolation of Israel? That's the way Simon looked at him. Luke 2, 2nd chapter, verses 25 through 30. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, and he was a righteous and devout man. He was waiting to see the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. A consolation. One who comforts, one who consoles, one who's there to help feel better in time of grief. One who knows the heartache in a time of uncertainty. One that's there to offer support and help and prayer. And that man named Simeon, when Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple to be dedicated, he takes the little child in his hands, Jesus. The scripture says, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You see Jesus as the Nazarene, the Holy One of God, God's own Son, the bread of life, the living water, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, that first star that appears early in the sky to welcome a new day. Do You see Him as the Son of righteousness, the resurrection and the life. The one in whom there is no sin, who became sin for us. The one in whom there was no darkness. The one who a bruised reed he would not break or a smoldering wick he would not put out. Do you see Jesus as gentle? I tell you what, folks, our world needs a gentle Jesus because we're constantly at war with one another. There's so much violence in our world, it's sickening. We need to learn about gentle Jesus. A bruised weed he would not break and a smoldering wick he would not put out. Little children could see his gentleness. They climbed up on his lap. They wanted to be around him. They could recognize that he would not hurt them in the least. Do you see Jesus as gentle? Do you see him as the beloved son, the only begotten, the exact representation of the Father, the firstborn over all creation, the heir of all things, the Shiloh, the root and the stump of Jesse, the horn of our salvation, the bridegroom who comes for his bride. Someday, folks, he'll come for his bride. Do you see Jesus as the bridegroom who comes for his bride? He's the rock and the refuge, the strong tower, the ransom, the last atom, the chief cornerstone, the commander and priest, commander and leader of the peoples, the great high priest, the apostle of our confession, the banner for the peoples. We just had a little grandson born. Yesterday was his one-month anniversary. Born January 17th. You know what his name is? Banner. You say, well, that's not a name for a child. From the time my daughter was growing up as a little girl, we sang, he calls us to his banqueting table. His banner over us is love. Jesus is called the banner of the people's folks, and his banner over us is love. What a great name to name a child. You know, got old fuddy-duddy Jeters having a hard time with it, though they named him. Why can't you name him John or Joe or you know, something, something like Jerry? I, I don't have anybody named after me in my family. Jerry would be a nice name to be named after. You know, I'm the last of the Jerry's and the last of the Paul's. You know? Do you see Jesus as the wonderful counselor because he wants to give us advice? How do you parent without the Lord? 
How do you raise, how do you put up with your parents without the Lord? Yeah, that's a whole other question, isn't it? They can be kind of testy at times, can't they? And what about your grandparents? They'll cut you some slack until you mess up. And then they may have mellowed enough to show you some grace. Because when they see you as grandchildren, they remember, hey, you know, it's just like them. Do you see Jesus as the guarantee of a better covenant? The Prince of Peace. Folks, I wish our world could see Jesus as the Prince of Peace because we're so much at war in so many continents. You see, Jesus is the desire of all nations, a title that I really like and appreciate. One day, Scripture will be fulfilled. One day, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And everybody's going to bow down. Nations don't know it right now, but He's the desire of the nations. Ironic, isn't it? We've got the friendly Olympics going on right now. They're competing graciously with each Even the North Koreans and the South Koreans are competing together in these games. Why can't we get along on a regular daily basis? After the Olympics over, we'll go back to fighting each other again. Does it make sense? No, it doesn't. Not when Jesus could help us. What about you? Who do you say that Jesus is? One of my favorite titles is Guardian of Our Soul. What's a guardian do? A guardian is by definition someone who has been entrusted to protect, to guard, to have the best interest in one being guarded for someone else. One who takes care of another for someone else. That's what a guardian is. When my mother and father divorced and I was a young boy and my sisters and I, the judge awarded legal custody and made my maternal grandparents our legal guardians in the system. And it was their responsibility to guard, protect, raise, nurture, care for us, which they did. Do you understand the word guardian? you understand the word soul? Suke in the Greek. Psyche we get. It's the very depth of who we are. It's what goes on living after we live on this earth. When we die, our soul will go on living either with God or apart from God. Do you understand that? Do you understand Jesus created each one of us with a spiritual soul? You say, well, that young man that did all that shooting over there, he doesn't have a soul. He's deeply troubled, folks, and we're not his judge. What happened is a tragedy, but from what I can see and what I've read, he had mental problems. His soul's out of sync. His mind is out of sync. Do we give our hearts and our souls and all that we are to Jesus? But what about you? Who do you say that I am? You see Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega. You say, well, what's Alpha and Omega? Alpha is the beginning letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the ending letter on my ring right here, my wedding ring, and on Brenda's ring. There is the Greek letter A, Alpha, and the Greek letter O, Omega, and there's a cross with two interlocking loops. It stands for the beginning and the end in the book of Revelation. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the everlasting one. Do you see him as that? But you, what about you? Who do you say that I am? You see Jesus as the faithful and true witness, one of the last names given in Scripture of him. Revelation 19.11, he's the faithful and true witness. What does it mean to be faithful? 
deserving trust, keeping your promises, doing what you say you would do, certain, worthy to be believed, conscientious, trust, by definition, steadfast, loyal, honest, just, truthful, ideal, essential, consistent, legitimate, rightful, and accurate. He is the faithful and true witness. Folks, He knows everything about us, and He still loves us. You know, my best favorite definition of who Jesus is to me is He's my friend. My friend. Hear what it says out of John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for His friends, and I have called you friend. You're called friend by Jesus. Whether you realize it or not, you're His friend. He wants you to be His friend. He wants to have that communion, that fellowship, that caring for you. I mentioned a while ago in my children's sermon, a man by the name of Jack Lemon who grew up in my church, who was like a father to me, but more than a father to me, he was my friend, folks. When I had some little girl break my heart and I couldn't deal with it, I'd go to him. He helped me buy my first car. He helped take me on hunts. I I swore off of girls for a couple of years and just coon hunted with dogs. You say, well, that's terrible. Brother Jerry, don't you care about animals? I do. We We hunted in sanctioned hunts. We never killed the animal. Climbed up the tree one night, about 30 feet up, trying to poke a coon out of the tree. And the limb I was on broke, and I fell 30 feet to the ground. And guess who broke my fall? My friend, Jack Lemon and Pete Hansen, put Pete in the hospital. He didn't fare so well. What is it to have a friend that will stand with you, by you, no matter what happens, a friend that loves at all times. That's what Proverbs says. A true friend loves at all times. Proverbs 17, 17. He's our blessed hope. Mentioned a few moments ago that Alpha and the Omega in Revelation. The foundation of the world, He's the one. There's no foundation that can be laid. 1 Corinthians third chapter, verse 11 says, other than Jesus Christ, which has already been laid. He's that Word of God I've mentioned. He's the one called Jesus, the Christ, the living one, the son of the living God, Peter said. He's our blessed hope, the amen, the radiance of God's glory. Folks, we've got so much beauty around here. I mentioned it a while ago. But stop and think that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. As beautiful as, as the earth is that we've seen, and there's some incredibly beautiful sights, the radiance of God's glory, He shines all over us and it's there every day for us to see. Is he just someone we come and study about on Sundays and forget? Youth, what was your D now theme? 167, you know where they got that from? One hour a week we come to worship on Sunday morning, but what do we do with the other 167 hours of the week? Is Jesus real to us those other 167 hours? He's our helper. He's our friend. He's our Old Testament Redeemer. He's the Son of God. He's my friend and He wants to be your friend. What are you going to do with Him today? If you don't know Jesus, folks, today's a good day to believe on Him. Today is a good day to come forward and share that belief and that trust with the congregation. And if you haven't done that, I'd encourage you to do it. If you've already done it, and Jesus is just somebody you come and hear a preacher preach about and rant and rave like I've done this morning over who Jesus is, what are you doing with the other 167 hours of the week with Jesus? 
because he will, can, and wants to change your life and mine to make us better, to be more like him, to be gentle and loving and kind and forgiving and trusting and gracious and merciful. And I could go on and on. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts. You know how fickle we are as people. You know how we let so many things distract us from your love and your grace and your mercy. Would you guide us this morning as we come to a time of invitation? Would you be our blessed assurance? Would you help us to know you personally if we don't know you? Would you help inspire us to be filled with your spirit so we can go and make a difference in our world? And Father, I just pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, may they come to know you during this hour in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is Blessed Assurance. It's hymn number 334 in your hymnal. I'll be here at the front to receive you. Let's go out with the song we're going to sing, Chris.